coming to you live from the 8th annual CP Tech Forum at the Grand Connaught Rooms in London. This is the Circuit Magazine podcast. Welcome to the Circuit Magazine, the number one source of information on protection matters, the industry-leading magazine for all security professionals who want to stay ahead of the game. Unpredictable Travel Risk Management, a live panel discussion recorded with Chris Storey, Axel Wochinger, Per Janssen, Ivan Ivanovich and Marcus Stevens offner at our 8th annual CP Tech Forum in the Grand Connaught Rooms in London. This is a special edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast where we thought let's bring one of the most exciting topics to life for you, the Circuit Magazine listeners who either have just attended the forum or have yet to go but would love to get a slice of the action. We were delighted to welcome Chris Story over here, along, of course, with Chuck Randolph, uh, you know, most most famous for conversations in closed protection, running the whole com- closed protection conference in Vegas, and of course being on our podcast before. Uh, and it was a great pleasure to see so many of you attend this year's event. We had more. Uh, attendees than we've ever had before, but also more internationals from a lot of countries. And also, listeners of the podcast, thank you for approaching us and saying, well, that you enjoyed it. And yes, you had ideas for new content, but it was wonderful to get that feedback. We're bringing you a recording directly from the conference, focusing on the evolution of travel risk management, whether or not it was ever predictable... Does it make sense to talk about unpredictable travel risk management? What are we going to do about it? And will tech help us? I'm thrilled that so many people made it for the eighth iteration of the forum. I I don't think I could envisage it being this big and this popular eight years ago when we started it. And, you know, that's down to you, the community, and, and, and also the wider listenership, you know, giving us more ideas and more topics to really grapple with looking at the modern protector. Uh, this this year, we included more end customers of protectors. We included uh, corporate uh, entities. We included private security, TSCM. But we, you know, we, we added topics, uh, including this uh, unpredictability in travel risk management, which, yes, it's a little bit high level. But I think before we start our advanced work or our you know, policies for uh, international travel. We have to really assess today uh, what are safe, quote-unquote, countries, what are not. Uh, What are good operating procedures in one country, but maybe not another. Um, How are our own internal biases going to affect the type of work we're prepared to commit in a different place? And, and, And I think that that is really key. And so having someone from Mexico, someone from the States, someone from Sweden, someone from Germany, I think that really, really makes a difference to give an international flavor. But don't just take my word for it. John and Sean and I were all in the audience for this excellent session. Let's welcome to the podcast the live recording from Chris Story and his excellent panel on unpredictable travel risk management. And now, let's meet one of the contributors to the Circuit magazine. 
Obviously, this being the eighth annual CP Tech Forum, we do have a slant towards tech, but there are wider questions which we can sort of apply uh, everything to, uh, the question of modernization. So, I am very pleased to welcome uh, Chris Dory, Director of Risk Intelligence and Consulting at Triumph Protection Group, and our wonderful panelists, Axel Wochinger, CEO of the Result Group, Per Janssen, Risk Advisor and Executive Protection Specialist, Exec, uh, Marcus Stevens-Offner as himself, and Ivan Ivanovich, Vice President, Strategic Services, WSO. And we're going to talk unpredictable travel risk management. I will leave you in uh, Chris Dory's capable hands. Thanks, Phil. Appreciate you. All right. Um, I'm also told that we're the uh, first or, or very, very international panel, right? So American, uh, Axel, German, Yvonne, Mexican, Per, Swedish, Swedish. Marcus? British. Okay. That's pretty awesome. Boo. What? All right. America. Okay. Um, so, so because we are an international panel, we're going to talk about uh, unpredictable travel risk. Uh, thank you for your kind attention. That's, all, that's our slide. Um, so first off, we have to identify really what is unpredictable travel because for most of us, we get our assignments, um, you know, on the spot, right? It's just really a matter of what planning is. So once, I think once we get past or beyond the, uh, uh, the resource piece, right? Like, you know, if I find out that we're going to Greece tomorrow, um, everybody's got to crap a lot of resource and that falls on a lot of the providers. So, so um, as we look at unpredictable travel, what are some of the, the, the challenges around that aside from, you know, uh, gathering resources? Alex, you want to actually, you want to jump on that first? Yes, yeah, so you pass the microphone. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think looking, looking on it from a bigger perspective, um, we're living in times that are more uncertain. Uh, the situation globally is more volatile, so getting ready for the, for the travel uh, puts a higher challenge to those who are carrying it out. Um, the political situation in many countries is different. Um, things happen with no uh, unpredictable, uh, and that's much, much more difficult to establish uh, the certain situation of awareness that you require for the operational work on the ground. Okay, so from, from that, at least I hear that we kind of need to maintain a pulse on our overall areas of operations, but the situation awareness on the ground is, uh, you know, we have to, f we find that. I'm not going to be focused on Greece, I'm not going to Greece or wherever. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so from there, like how do we, how do we get a handle on that? You know, what technology uh, do you use to get a handle on um, what's going on to keep you situationally aware? Yvonne? Thank you very much. So uh, first, when we're talking about uh, unpredictable uh, risks, uh, in that case, uh, it's kind of a semantic question because if we consider uh, predictable that something that we can uh, uh, predict step by step what's going to happen, then it's definitely unpredictable. But if we understand that it's a probability that going to that something's going to happen, that it's pretty much predictable depending on where we are operating on, uh, of course, because if we can't predict something, then we can manage that, but we can't manage that risk. So that, that, that's very important uh, uh, to take uh, into consideration. So first, uh, what we do is the intelligence uh, on the area that we are going to operate, and that's very important, uh, uh, both uh, OSINT and all kind of intelligence that, that's on our hands, so that, it, that can make us, at least when you operate in Latin America, to have a specific uh, 
report for each one of the crimes, I mean, that's most common to happen when we operate. So, for example, carjacking, we have a lot of Latin America, uh, street crime, and whatever, but they can tell you, okay, that can happen all the time. Well, that not happens, I mean, that happens all the time, but not with the same frequency, so we, have, we, we can define the specific places and specific time when the specific threat has more frequency, so we can start our planning uh, together with, with executive, because in executive protection, we, sometimes we think that the most important thing is know how to shoot or whatever, but the most important skill is to, to convince and to talk with your principal. So once you know already what is, uh, what, what's your intelligence, what's the best plan to, to operate and work, so you, you can help the plan and reduce the risk by the avoiding the areas and times when, it's, when, it's most, uh, uh, when that threats are most frequent. Okay, so basically we're not saying we have a crystal ball, but just like the excellent uh, presentation for open source intelligence earlier was there are patterns that we can see, we can understand areas that we're going into, uh, demographics, et cetera. And uh, for any of you that know uh, Filippo Marino's uh, study about um, our ability to, to um, predict risk versus the average person, uh, executive protectors think that we're really, really good at it, but we're really not. So we kind of have to use those tools, like you said, like let me look at see what's on the ground. Um, let's get ground reporting, but let's also look at the patterns, time of day, location, et cetera, uh, that have impacts. And so some of those risks aren't, you might not be able to identify when they're gonna happen, but you know when they're more likely to happen, correct? Okay, great, so what tools do we use uh, for those? Uh, we'll just go in order, pair. Or what tools do you use? What tools do you recommend? Uh, the tools I recommend would be having someone local on ground, because my background is from governmental, so we never travel without having that country that we're going into. We need someone to, to be our receiver in that country. And that you can do that as well in the private sector. It's only building your network and not depending on someone who's uh, subcontracting, someone who is subcontracting, someone who is subcontracting. You need, to, you need to have someone in your network that you trust and then go meet them. And preferably, if, if you can send a team advance, that's, that's uh, what you want to. But that's not always the case, because the unpredictability is that I'm going tomorrow. So the tools I would need, I would use uh, network as a, as a great tool for to okay. manage that. What about uh, technology? What, what technology, or even just websites, might you go to to kind of figure out at least the uh, overall uh, general threat, and then what what might be a specific threat? Well, I, I can't. I'm sorry, I can't tell you the web pages because I don't know them. Uh, I have a team for that, but I, I would say that generally, all the technical support would be a, 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 pr a secondary method, as we talked about before as well. And uh, th the best example of that is, like, if you have a, you, you need to have a map and a compass and you can use the GPS for support, but I would never trust that technical support as a primary method, if that makes sense. Okay, yeah, that makes sense, all right. So, for example, I think some of us will go to like the uh, State Department website or the uh, ministry websites, right, that tell us like what crime is in, at least at the country level, right? And then, then from there, we need to understand what happens at the, at the city or state level and then the city level, right? So. Go on. Sure, and and that also there's a problem with that because if for my hometown, for example, Stockholm, if you if you go on a on a 
like external, some other country or, or some of the companies that produce risk reports, it, it, the Stockholm looks like a red zone right now. That you, you wouldn't go in without the long guns and everything. But in reality, it's not. So then back to take the technical support, but you need boots on the ground. You need to go there. You need to talk to people who actually is on, on location. Okay, and I think I think it's important to note too that, that most of those, when they use their risk score, the highest level threat becomes the whole threat for the country, right? And so then you're, you know, we, our, our executives that we support are saying, no, you're, you're overreacting to this. And that's one of the things that we're held accountable to go, like, yep, scariest environment imaginable, we can't go. And, and the on-the-ground reporting helps us out. And I think it works two ways as well, is that on-the-ground reporting can tell you, no, it's not, a, it's not a war zone, it's a war zone in this one place, you know, because we're getting um, uh, crazy news reports, right? There's thousands of people here, and there's like six people behind them, you know, you know, picketing or whatever the case is. So that, that helps verify that, that actually happened ground, in yeah. Davos last week. We got it, like intel that was a, almost a riot, and like four people, Yaki, yeah, were there. Job security, job security. <laughs> okay, great. So, uh, Marcus, any other tools aside from people on the ground and? Uh, the you know government websites. So how do we how do we get more clarity about you know what we can try to predict uh, from a travel perspective? I just want to start by saying we're embracing some real beard diversity here on this panel. Here we got clean shaven <laughs> over there, and we got the beard squad here. So you know, <laughs> so, and yourself. Um, as don't want to go over old ground, um, but as has been said, so you can get an overview of what's happening in the country. But the thing you always narrow down is, okay, what's being reported and what is actually happening on the ground. So you can go on there and you can say, right, you can do an incident trawl. So I've used Control Risk Court. Yeah, it's it's a subscription. But there's a lot of free platforms out there. CEI World, World Factbook, FCO, quick word on the FCO. Um, not too sure if it's State Department as well. If they receive a threat, they have to legally put it on their site for that country. So it's worth noting. By law... The British government, if they learn of a threat, goes on their website. So stay on top of that one. And, but you can also go Lonely Planet, guys. There's, there's a sea of information out of this, how you, how you cherry pick it. Do a broad sweep. Get a good picture. But once again, and it's a thing that's happened throughout my career, what's in, what someone says, sat in an office in D.C. or sat in an office in London saying, you've got to do this, that, and the other, go to the ground source. And again, the media, the media, unfortunately... We'll paint a picture. You're talking about Davos. I can go back. It's a few years old now. Hong Kong. Hong Kong, when I went there in 2019, place was on fire. Riots. I was at Mong Kok police station watching stuff flying around me. I could see people a block away or a street away dressed up for dinner and going sat down at a nice restaurant. But sexy news, stills, and all the rest of it. And it, and it, it paints a picture that there. But what is actually happening? And going in too hard and thinking, right, we need armored vehicles, we need this that raises the risk to there. And a quick one, I could approach it from the corporate and I can approach it from the, the commercial level. In corporate, you have, you have a duty of care, not just to your executives, to everyone traveling, you have a duty of care to those people and you have to prepare them. What's the worst case scenario? Worst case scenario is you didn't prepare them, something happened and let's say it's a lethal event. So it's a catastrophic event. Three years from now, you as a travel risk manager or whoever, you're in the stand at the inquest and they're going to say how did you prepare that traveler for that trip and if you haven't got the answers at the exec level 
unlimited fines and or prison. So if you want a lever for your C-suite, no executive wants to go to prison for something they weren't even involved in. But that is a way to leverage. I can go back to one of the previous panels. A lot of discussions are subjects that problems about security culture. I was hearing those same discussions 30 years ago. What's changed? How do we change? How do we help change? Because um, we're all learning. And so I'm, I'm sort of going off on a tangent. Nothing new there. But how do we help enable business? You know, one, one great saying I heard, you know, the, the security department is the department of no. No, you can't do that, as you say. No, you can't do this, can't do that. You're there to enable business. You can't just say, no, you can't do that. Look at the trip. Look and see, right, okay, and work with the travelers who will not have the training, who will not have the awareness. That's what you're there. You're there to advise. You're a security advisor. And you're there to say, right, okay, let's look at it. We'll work with you, but we're here to enable business to happen. You might need a few extra control measures. Tech, yeah, tech helps. But again, as you said, it's just a tool. You can either a, a balance of the two from there. Okay, cool, yeah, so uh, I'd like to go back to your point about the prison piece. I'd just say that probably nobody really wants to go to prison, right, <laughs> whether you did it or not. You know, um, at least that's my view. Uh, so I think what you're saying is, and what everybody's really saying is, and this kind of aligns with Jackie's point, which is we have to do our due diligence, right? If you go off the news or, wh or whatever's being tweeted and you're saying, hey, it's a war zone, uh, a, a section is a war zone, right? Um, and I think we want to make sure that we don't overstate the security situation on the ground because we lose trust with the executives that we support. And then the other piece that you guys had kind of mentioned is, um, you know, being prepared and then having a crisis management plan in the event of, right, if, uh, if things go sideways. An another theme that's coming out is that we've got some older, uh, old school folks, right? You mentioned, hey, 30 years ago, what's changed, right? So what has changed is a, is a lot of uh, technology and the ability to use it, but not over rely on it, right? I, I get that piece, right? I still need to use a map and compass, but at the end of the day, we, al we also rode horses and now we drive cars. So, so at what point do we, do we change gears to, to trust the, the technology that we have out there? Because as we have a, a, a technology or a close technology conference, everybody's like, oh, it's gotta be a guy on the ground. What other tools are out there that we can trust and then put those together, like, like Mark was saying about a balance between technology and, and the human factor, because humans are fallible, and so is technology. How do we, how do we make that stronger for, for uh, uh, unpredictable, even predictable travel risk? Axel, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think in, in general, uh, keeping a bit of the old school approach is never bad. I mean, there's a... Uh, Probably you've heard uh, the, this case study of Maersk that had a massive cyber attack, and the only reason they were kind of able to do that crisis management in a proper way was because they had their crisis management plan in, hard pa in paper printout somewhere in the shelf. All their, the other stuff was gone. They couldn't use anything like that. Yesterday, MS Teams was, uh, had a global uh, outage. A lot of companies use MS Teams to do their crisis management. So. Uh, the example of having a compass and a map is, is always, always important. And I think um, that this is true for all the technology that is on the market. A lot of uh, people rely for the, for the individual traveler on those nice uh, travel apps uh, where they get push messages. But that stuff doesn't work if the mobile, the, the network is down. The good old text message might still go through as a as a warning tool or as a, a means of communication. 
So not over rely on technology is, is and I think everyone who's coming from the military kind of subscribes to that because you always use the easy stuff that has always worked well. Okay, one of the things that comes to mind is uh, from a balance perspective, right, is that I can, if I need to run a route, I can um, map my route, depending on what tool I use, I can actually have, you know, run the route or see visuals along the route. But at the end of the day, I also want somebody to run the route because it might change, right? So from my perspective, that's a great use of technology and, you know, the old school mentality that you got to see it, verify it, execute it, right, Axel? A absolutely. I mean, Google Maps, Waze, all those tools are great and make, make life much easier. But you might have, uh, you know, the system might be down. So do your, do your advance, do your recce, be familiar with the route and maybe have a paper map still with you. Uh, then you have your fallback option if okay. technology is not working. All right, so, so a lot of times we look at technology and you know, really I could use what uh, chat, GP, or whatever it is uh, to write my advance port. Has anybody done that yet? I know somebody has. Nobody wants to claim it? Okay. Well, that might be, I mean, in the future that might be, you know, you ask it, hey, you know, what are the routes, what is this, what is that, and then you go verify it, right? I mean, using those tools. Um, what does that look like f for, for you guys, right? Because everybody's like, nope, I gotta, I gotta, I'm going to trust, but I'm going to verify. Okay, so, so well, where, where, do we, where do we draw the line? Well, uh, first, just about technology in general, I, you're looking at the, the executive production operations, and you see the guys with the radio and their phones, and like, come on, it's like 60 years old technology. I mean, and it's, everybody knows you are an agent, etc. So uh, right now, the important uh, manufacturer had a, a spe specific phones, or it could be a phone, and it could be on the app, so you, you have your phone, your app, your, uh, you, you just have a regular earphone, and you, you make your group, and you have, can have several groups, and you just push the talk, and it's much more easier. Nobody realizes who you are, not necessarily. You have more reach, et cetera. So from my point of view, it's one of the best things that happened lately for executive protection. And uh, the, the question you said, I said I'm, I'm going to give the example that we are working in, uh, in the Central America uh, last year, and... Uh, the Google Maps and Waze, we, we need to go to a, a factory and that is next to the territory of Mara, Mara gangs, Mara Salvatrucci gang. It's it's huge, huge territory, and the factory is next to it. And uh, so if you, but it, there is a mistake inside the uh, Google Maps or whatever, so if you put the address of the of the factory in the, in the Waze, they, instead of taking you to the factory, it's gonna take you directly to the center of the Maragang territory. And, and you're lost, and th then if, if that happens, they, they need to call the, the chief security of the plant and the rescue the guy and give the money to the Maras to let him go. So uh, you, you, you cannot just say, okay, you should use the, uh, you, you put it on ways, and no, you, you in the specific area, that's why we're talking about that we first need intelligence, we first need to know where we are going, what kind of threats we have, because the Mara doesn't want to hurt you if you go to the factory, I mean, the factory is important for them because uh, most of their families are working on that factory, so they won't damage them. They, they, they want to make trouble on that. 
but nevertheless, if you just run into, <laughs> then you, then, then, then you're also that. That's the important. We we need to know where we are going, how to operate. We check it, but we need to, to do the advance and the balance, both the uh, the technology, the operations, and our knowledge on the ground. Sorry okay, for stealing yeah, the time. Yeah, so there's a th there's another theme that's coming here is that strategically, maybe we use intelligence tools, you know. Um, open source intelligence, other tools, paid tools, free tools. Operationally, we, we probably use a little bit, but we, we introduce the human factor, and then tactically, you know, we really focus on, on the human factor. So I would say it's probably 70-30 at the top, and then 30-70 technology on the bottom, right? We still use those communication tools. Okay, that, ma that makes sense. Okay, so, so Pear, what, what else um, would you introduce to, to that from a technology piece at the operational level, right? So bridging the gap, so almost like 50-50. And I know you have people for this, but it was a strong flex earlier. You said, I got people that take care of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was more covering up my, my own not so good skills at that. So I'm, I'm not sure I understand the question. But so, so strategically, we use a lot of tools, right? You know, technology, um, and then tactically, we don't. We focus on the, the map and compass piece, right? Trust but verify. But the middle ground operationally is you're managing your teams or multiple teams, right? Whether in a corporation or a provider, what tools can we use for, for travel? Or what tools do you use? Like, for example, um, uh, tracking tail numbers. I can know what teams are in the air. Tracking flights, what teams are in the air, which teams are on the ground. Um, I can use my phone, right, to film um, uh, routes, right, and then if a route's change, I can add to that uh, databases, all these things, resources for, for the tactical teams to draw from. So what other tools from a travel perspective uh, do, you, do you use or are you aware of or that you're not aware of that you need, which I think would be important uh, as well? I understand. Yeah, so things that we do use, of course, is the, the standard communication things. We use the, the encrypted apps, Signal or WhatsApp and stuff like that. Uh, what we use a lot when we are in, a, in an area that we are not familiar with, we use uh, what three words, which is a great uh, mapping to share positions and uh, things like that. Uh, if, you don't, if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's really good. It's free. Uh, and also for comms, we tend to be, I mean, we have been using phones for comms, but it's a mess, even if you have the apps, because there's a lot of things happening on a, especially if you're a team leader, there's uh, different types of, of apps for communication and someone tries to call you and you are at the same time tr trying to talk radio. So we have now, we tend to go back to radio again. Uh, just the, the hybrid ones with both 4G and, and uh, UAHF, which were really good. We tried them like last week and they work really fine. And the, the earpieces now are so, so small so you can choose because sometimes you want to show that you have an earpiece. That's part of the tactics that you need to show force. And sometimes you don't, you don't want anyone to see and that's possible as well too. You can, with the new radios you can use iPhone earpieces and whatnot. So that's that's probably the most we do for for uh, positioning and communication. That's the most uh, uh, like technology things we use on the ground. But I also wanna, if I if I can deviate a bit uh, on preparation, there's a, a lot of things we talk about equipment, technical support, intel, and and everything. But we need to remember the people that we need to put on the ground 
are the most important resource and they need to be trained. And that's something that fr from coming from, I had a discussion earlier today with uh, former colleagues and that is something I can see from like private sector to government government is that governmental are always like r training because they don't have to worry about the, the, the it's not a business for them it's just a job and for the private sector we need to do a good job so we be able to to like earn money but we also need to be a, at a level of proficiency where we also put I mean that's that's what we try to do we, we try to have people that are trained because when something happens I would rather re rely on people's skills than equipment or technology. Again, I'm, I'm that guy. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no problem. Um, no, no. So that makes sense. I think one of the things that comes to mind too that you mentioned was uh, free tools, right? And I think that's one of the challenges as well. Is that you know if you're running a business, you're like, cool, let's use a free tool. But what's the cost of a free tool? Right. Those are the things that we we need to be aware of as as security folks as well. Then the next question, this is you'd be right up your alley, but I'm gonna push it to to Marcus. Is um, sometimes technology won't work in areas that we're going. So you know we've got the as we call it a first world problem of um, hey I've got all this high speed equipment, but I, either I I can't get it in through through uh, customs right because we the the timeline is so short or it just won't work in the area that we're operating in. So, so what does that look like? I mean, has you, have you ever been um, hindered by your technology and it just becomes dead weight? Um, I think the security industry and security professionals have a, have a, a bit of an issue is, is you need to go to the granular level. Who, who, what is, who's my end user? Is my end user a security professional? Are they an intelligence officer? Are they that? Or are they a 21-year-old graduate on their first trip abroad? Yeah, because that's the person that, that's the person at the sharp end. So either you're an advisor. If they've got a team with them, okay, fine. What I will say about technology is number one, you've got to have buy-in. Yeah, they've got to want it, or they've got to be forced to have it with policy. What you don't want is someone that's in a rural site vehicle accident. Because let's face it, when you travel, most people say, oh, "I'm going to be involved with a terrorist attack. Or I'm going to be held up." Probably not. You're going to get sick. You're going to fall over, or more likely, you're going to be in a vehicle-related incident because the country you're in has poor driving standards. Yeah. So if you don't have that tech on your phone in a greenfield site, that's not when you want to think. Oh, what was that app again? And you got no signal. So, you know, from, from the get-go, you're, you're on, you're on a back foot from there. Um, tracking, or as the Americans like to call it, geospatial awareness. Um, tracking uh, so tracking is um, it can work for you it can work against you um, the story I tell um, I've sort of finished off my time in Iraq in an, at an embassy and we were given a standalone tracker by we're a very well-known company we gave it to the ambassador very good bit of kit gave it to him and after a three-week period one of the guys went to him and said hey you finding a tracker the what the tracker I gave you oh that thing it's back in the accommodation in my drawer yeah because it's on its own, is brilliant. But if it's a standalone bit of kit, unless your day-to-day -day business and role is security, you're going to forget it. You're going to forget the charger. It's going to get stolen. Or you're just going to like, well, let's talk about tracking. And the, the, the big bear in the room is the rumor of, oh, corporate security or Big Brother is watching me. And did you know 
that they can push a few buttons from the remote office thousands of miles away and your phone starts spying on you. What's going to happen? All that is fast track that phone getting binned in the hotel. Because let's talk about, you know, we like dealing with uncomfortable subjects. Here's an uncomfortable subject. Many people, this is where the human nature, this is where the human effect comes in. Many people want to go abroad, want to get engaged in activities that they don't want the company or their partner or anyone else knowing about. And it generally revolves around sex and drugs and all the rest, all those touchy subjects that people don't really want to talk about. So if they think my tech is going to spy on me, the one bit of kit that could assist you no good if it's back in your hotel and you're three miles down the road in a favela in trouble yeah so it needs to be simple because again end user let's use our 21 year old graduate who's never to your average I hate to you know decree up and coming people but for most people that are very young a crisis to them is the Wi-Fi not working it, and it is, and it's unfortunately, it's as, it's as simple as that. It is all the Wi-Fi is working, headless chicken running around. So what you need to think about in a genuine crisis, when your fine motor skills are, part, you know, are, are closing down and you're you know, running around, what do I do, what do I do? If that bit of kit you open up, and this is my advice to any companies that deal with that kit, make it as painfully simple as possible. Open that app, see that big red button, push it. That's all you have to do. Yeah, it will go to a GSOC phone will ring, then we start the process with the knowledge that that only goes so far. I don't know how many sort of professional kidnap gangs that are going to let you keep your phone. First thing, that's, you know, you're stripped naked, they're doing a search for any other, anything hidden. Quick one on, you mentioned the customs. Um, I briefly explored a covert tracking app on the phone. You get it in there. But what happens if for whatever reason you go to China? your phone gets taken off you. They interrogate that phone and they find a covert tracking app. So someone that may be there on company business all of a sudden is on espionage charges. Yeah, think about that. But they've got to have it on the phone. Yeah? There's, there's a lot, and it, you need to approach it in a way where you're winning people over. Yeah, you have to win people over. Because they're like, I'm not doing that. Then you, you're failing from the start. So don't overcomplicate this. I've seen this throughout my career. Security professionals make it, oh, it's super Gucci, it's super sexy, it does this, that, and the other. Who's your end user? If your end user's like, well, I don't understand how to use this, it's not going to happen. So it needs to be just KISS. You know, it's, it's, it's a staple plan of everyone's beliefs. Simplify it because when it goes south and they're in the shit, they're not going to start thinking about, and I've seen some apps of, oh, you've got a drop-down menu, this. No, just keep it simple. Okay, so KISS principle, and then you've got to make sure that the technology works uh, twofold, right? So end user, but the location should probably be as well, uh, be there as well. I mean, I think we're seeing 3G go away, so, so technology has to advance, uh, at least in some areas, right? So, um, and there, there are some other technologies that are tethered, right? So you have a tracker that's tethered to your phone, et cetera, but if it doesn't get a signal wherever you are, it's not helpful, right? And it's gonna, and it's gonna go away, so. Um, I worked in one location, everybody's in like, hey, we, we have this phone that's going to be awesome, everybody's going to use it, and it, it'll just do everything you need it to do, except it didn't connect to the phone network, so it never worked, and it was just a brick, and like you said, all, all the, all the uh, executives kind of left it in their, in their room, so that's not helpful. So we have to understand, again, that would be from, from my perspective at the strategic level, what tools will work in the, in the location that we're going to, and just like that was talked about in the OSINT thing before, it's not a, just a 
it's not just a, hey, I used to tickle the keys, I GTS it, and then suddenly I know, I know everything. It's, like you said, it's ringing that, that, that rag and trying to get as much intel out of that as possible, and then every time I do that, I'm adding to that stack of, of intelligence that I know about the area. So, you know, does the network work? Do what, will our tools work? Who, what assets do we have on the ground to give us real-time uh, intelligence that, you know, the, those folks that are trusted? And then, of course, you know, uh, do the people have training, um, not necessarily what to think, but how to think about uh, approaching our, our operation on the ground for, from a travel perspective? Okay, so um, I think we're just up on time. Uh, I would just say uh, close your remarks, just a quick sentence. Marcus, just a quick sentence. Okay, we're going to try to keep to this. And we'll actually, we'll start with Marcus, and then we'll just we'll go from there. Marcus, so <laughs> closing, close your remarks. One sentence to sum it all up, sir. There it is. One sentence. All right, good. Pair. <laughs> Pair. Have a different primary method than technology. Okay. All right, fair enough. Yvonne. We can't follow always the, the standards because of the standards of executive protection change in any country. So not necessarily follow the standards. Okay. Axel. I think it's all about the people. It was mentioned before, those two tiers executive travelers that are in a safe bubble and then the individual traveler and for them it's not so much about tech it's about awareness preparation and a bit of decent training and again it was mentioned online training sometimes is very basic very uh, badly done so uh, focus on a bit more of training it helps people Okay, great. All right, so uh, thank you very much for, for the, uh, the words of wisdom from the gentleman on the panel. Please give him a round of applause, and thank you for your attention. I really enjoyed that panel uh, with the one and only Mr. Chris Story moderating, not just because, well, it's Chris Story moderating in a UK environment, so that's, that's pretty special. And uh, for those of you who remember, of course, Chris was a guest uh, intro-outro moderator on the podcast just the other week, um, as well as a guest, of course, last year. Uh, but because what we did, we took travel risk and we related it to current affairs, but we also put a slant on it and asked, where can technology help? And where perhaps not, because everyone will remember, you know, the last few years, there's been some pretty out there travel risk conundrums and, you know, trusted sources were no longer trusted. And then other places were opening and some places were closing. And yes, I'm, I'm, I'm being deliberately vague, you know, I'm not trying to add to this panel myself too much, but but I think you get the picture. So uh, the, the question of travel risk, was it ever predictable? Right. Does it make sense to talk about unpredictability? Um, and, then, and then what can you do to mitigate that? The advance work, uh, all of the preparation, uh, because if it is unpredictable, what are you really planning for? You're planning for outcomes. You're planning for scenarios. And, you know, Chris also mentioned how international that panel was. Uh, Mexican, uh, United States, German and uh, Swedish on that particular panel but but overall the event we we were so fortunate to have people from the middle east from south africa a friend of the naba uh, network uh, coming from south africa as well uh, from brazil uh, mexico colombia and uh, of course canada uh, not just germany but ireland 
Netherlands, France. Uh, yes, uh, our, our fantastic BBA members from France and the Netherlands. I, I remember having some great chats with you. So please do continue your support and please do continue coming over. Oh, and New Zealand. New Zealand was in the house. I should not forget you. But yeah, so I made a special plea at the end of the event for people to subscribe. And if coincidentally, this is the first time you are hearing the Circuit Magazine podcast, uh, on account of my encouragement, thank you very much for uh, subscribing. Uh, It was such a wonderful uh, day and evening. And of course, pre uh, drinks, courtesy of the IPSB. And what I would love to do is to spread the enthusiasm, keep the momentum coming. And if you have a story, a case study, something you want to share, as some uh, very, very, uh, you know, very kind protectors who approached us did, we want to include it in the next issue of the magazine. We're already including segments from people who very kindly came up at the end of the event and had something prepared for us. So if that's you, thank you. And if you're thinking about it, absolutely jump on the bandwagon. So beyond this, what have we got coming up? Well, uh, we have a series of virtual events that we will be announcing, uh, which will be there for you to engage in. That will be thematic. We are very much looking forward, of course, to Elijah's training course uh, coming up uh, very soon too. We mentioned that on one of the previous editions. And, of course, we are looking forward to meeting you all in person at various stages. Please do keep an ear out uh, for further uh, segments from the 8th Annual Executive Security and Close Protection Technology Forum. Uh, Please do network with the people that you met. Don't forget to contact them sooner rather than later so that they remember you if you were attending. If you weren't attending, I I do apologise. We did sell out a few days before, even though we increased the space. Uh, We will mm, endeavour to cater for you, especially next time. But get in there early. And I, I know that can be difficult with schedules. But if you can, get in early for 2024 for the ninth iteration i can't believe we're saying the ninth big thank you to the supporters of the event and of course our long-standing chairman mr mike o'neill managing director optimal risk uh, who is a big friend of the magazine and the association as well and one just mini shout out to my fellow co-presenter elijah shaw Even though you were there remotely, it was great that we were chatting in real time and connecting with uh, members from across the pond in person. And of course, because of this segment, thank you very much to Chris Dory, Conversations in Closed Protection, IPSB, and our fantastic panel, Axel, Ivor, Pear, and of course, Marcus. This has been Unpredictable Travel Risk Management, as captured at the 8th Annual Executive Security and Close Protection Technology Forum in the Grand Connaught Rooms in London just this week. My name is Pelham Rowe, and this has been, for me, a fantastically special edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast. You have been listening to the Circuit Magazine podcast. Be sure to subscribe and be sure to not miss an episode.